I, I, I really just want to thank um, Kara for her willingness to be bold and to talk about what she's in the middle of. Sometimes we wait until we're at the end of whatever God's been speaking to us about or whatever he's up to, and then when it's nice and tied up and tidy, then we tell everybody what, yeah, this is what happened, but to be vulnerable and to come and say, hey, this is something that's happening in my life and my family with um, your younger sister uh, and some of the tendencies that she's had, some struggles with some violence, and just to say, no, uh, God's speaking to me about this. So we want to pray with her in that, but let that also be a challenge to us, uh, especially as we're entering into our Advent season for um, us to be open to what God would speak to us as we anticipate him coming into areas of our lives. Um, Well, we are in a series on the kingdom of God, and this is our grand finale that we're wrapping up the series. And I want to thank Isaac, who, uh, if you're new with us, Isaac has been painting um, most of the weeks that we've uh, had. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Um, So he, I, I tell him the day or two before what the message is going to be about, and then and with that inspiration, he kind of paints live what he's um, uh, pulling out of it. So uh, I encourage you to take a look at that, and we do plan to put them all up on exhibit as soon as he and I get our act together and write some cards describing which, <laughs> what the paintings are in each one. So would you stand with me as we... Uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. This is a prayer that um, Jesus, in response to his disciples' request, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray, they asked, and this is the prayer uh, that he modeled for us. So let's pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Find us the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus said in this prayer that we are to pray, God, your kingdom come. Which begs the question, what exactly is the kingdom of God exactly? What, what is it? And we've been in this series called Unexpected, the Surprising Nature of the Kingdom of God, where we've hoped to put a little bit of a dent into uh, helping us understand more about the kingdom of God. Mostly what we've done is compared the kingdom of God, his reality, his way, his story, with kingdoms of this world and some of those things and those contrasts. But again, what does the kingdom of God mean uh, Exactly, And so I'm going to ask you guys to do something for a moment. I'd like you just to take, you know, 20, 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you, and explain as concretely and concisely as you can what this phrase means, what exactly is the kingdom of God. Okay, so go ahead. Game show music in your mind here. Don't worry, I won't call on anyone. All right, all right, all right. Let me ask you, how easy was that? Did that just kind of roll off the tongue? Was it real simple to do, you know? Or did you find yourself maybe fumbling around a little bit? Yeah, maybe a little fumbling? See, in my experience and with myself as well, it's, it's, 
it's hard to have some clarity on what the kingdom of God is. And, and by the way, the kingdom of God slash the kingdom of heaven are two exchangeable phrases. They mean the same thing. Um, but it's hard for us to kind of put it concretely what exactly it means. And there's a good reason why. Um, we have a hard time explaining what the kingdom of God is. And, and I think one of the reasons that it's hard for us to explain is that we can barely imagine it. We can barely imagine what the kingdom of God is like. I mean, trying to imagine even what Jesus told us to pray and, and go, what would this earth look like if God's kingdom were to really come to it? It boggles our minds. Uh, we have a hard time getting our arms wrapped around that. It's not real clear to us often what exactly is going on in heaven that would go on if it came here to earth. Like, uh, what would... What would God's reign, um, if it held unhindered sway here on earth, what would it look like? Um, which is what the kingdom of, of God is, and a technical phrase um, that's often used for the kingdom of God. Here, here could be a short definition the next time you get quizzed on that. Um, uh, is the range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. That's one kind of concise definition of the kingdom of God. Um, it's, it's that sphere in which whatever God wants to happen, whatever he desires, is what happens. Now, the good news is, it's not that technical when we start looking a little closer at it. The writers of Scripture spent an enormous amount of time reflecting on this stuff, uh, reflecting on what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven were aligned uh, rightly here, uh, the kingdom of God here at the kingdoms of this world. And so all over the New Testament and Old Testament, there's lots of things that were written about it. And because this involves kind of a spiritual reality, and spiritual reality, reality can be hard to describe for us even to imagine because we're finite and, and limited as humans, but what they use in Scripture are images to convey what life would be like under God's administration, under his, his reign. And so they used images um, now, our leaders here will do similar things. If somebody runs for president, they'll say something like, well, if I govern with my administration, I'll get this country moving again, right? It's an image. Or I'll get this country back on its feet. And that's not talking about physical movement. That's an image of progress or growth. So the scripture writers use imagery to convey what life would be like if God's kingdom fully came. And, and that's, by the way, what Jesus said, we're to pray for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. So in this message, what I want to look at are some of those primary images from Scripture, and we're going to go look all over Scripture with pictures from the Old and the New Testament, and I wish we could stop at each one and kind of unpack the context, but maybe that's something that you can do yourself this week, and I put a few Scriptures behind every uh, point in the notes in your bulletin. And we're going to look at these images in just five different spheres and talk about, and talk about what they're going to look like in our day, what these things would look like, um, what kind of images maybe would we use if we describe the kingdom coming now and here. So what would it look like? What would it look like if God's kingdom came, if, if his will were done on earth as it is in heaven? And the Bible talks about this in different spheres of human life. So the first sphere we're going to look at is this, uh, the sphere of economics and human need. Economics and human need. Now, John writes in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, about the day when God's kingdom is fully realized, 
when he says this, never again will they hunger. (laughs) Never again will they thirst. I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. What would that look like? The elimination of hunger. Like no more pictures of little children with swollen bellies, no scarcity, no mothers trying to scrounge around for enough food that her baby could survive for another day. That would be over when the kingdom comes. But it's not just, by the way, it's not just the end of poverty. The writers imagine um, and write about the overflow of abundance that would occur in God's kingdom. And Amos wrote about this in chapter 9 of Amos The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps, and new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Again, imagine this This is written in a semi-desert context, and so they would reap their seed, and then they would have to wait a long time for the rains to come again, because it wasn't very fertile ground. So imagine um, something like Arizona without irrigation canals. So the writer here uses imagery to talk about what earth would look like if it was redeemed from the curse. It says that the one who plows and the one who reaps bump into each other because there's so much abundance. Like stuff grows so fast they can't keep up with it. And then it says new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Now that doesn't mean that there's literally going to be rivers of Chardonnay flowing out of South Mountain. Okay, don't get excited here about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but it's an image of abundance, right, of God's abundance. So John Orberg imagines in our terms today that we might say things like, he says, we might say things like, every day the stock market will end a little higher than the day before. The bull will dwell on Wall Street forever and the bear will visit it no more. The Federal Reserve will never have to raise interest rates again. The jobless rate will go down to zero and stay there and everybody will love what they do. This is, holy cow, wow. He says, little children in the Sudan will have carpeted bedrooms and private baths and their own automated teller machines in their bedrooms. I mean, maybe that's a little American culture intrusion there, but you get the point, right? There's going to be abundance when the kingdom comes. So, for the kingdom of God to come, economically, there would be abundance and everyone would have enough. And so, in a way, economic justice would finally prevail, which, by the way, is scriptural. Let's move on to the next one. The second thing we'll look at, the sphere of politics, which in our history is mostly the story of human conflict, right? Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says, God will judge, God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. Now just think about these words. Don't let them float by here. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So there's no more fighting. There's no more hatred. Like, we won't have any use for swords anymore, so they'll beat the metal into something more useful, into farming tools, the plows. And one writer put this into modern terms and thought, well, maybe it would look like this in our day. He said, intercontinental ballistic missile silos will be converted into training tanks for inner city kids to learn scuba diving in, right? That'd be useful. It's creative, right? But there will be peace. When the kingdom of God fully comes, there will be no such thing as enemies. Can you imagine that? No such thing as enemies. 
I mean, I'm not even sure the kingdom has come to our homes and friendships and church. Like, no enemies. Like, peace will reign, right? So, no lying, no backstabbing, no gossip, no false accusations, no rumors. You won't have to defend yourself from hearsay because there will be no us versus them. And here's Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 9 and following. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra, and young children will put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And what the writer is doing here is using imagery to convey that that the world would be at peace if the kingdom of God were fully realized. So, so think about the conflicts we're having today. So um, the head of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, like he's going to come out of his cave. The insurgents in Syria will stop kidnapping foreigners. Um, Kim Jong-il and Donald Trump would fly to the Middle East and they would play duck-duck-goose with the new president of Lebanon. I mean, huh? Yeah. Um, sports fans, maybe Kevin Durant and uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook would reform the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? It'd be, you know, it's not as exciting, right? Okay, how about Bulls fans? The uh, Shaq and, and Kobe, and, oh no, that'd be Lakers, right? Shaq and Kobe and Phil, they'd reform the Lakers. You'd have uh, Rodman and, and Pippen and Jordan. Uh, they'd reform the Bulls. Nobody gets excited about the basketball ones, like, huh? Packer fans, any Packer fans here, right? Okay, so, uh, and I'm not a Packer fan, but... Uh, you guys, you'd have Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre would just take turns playing quarterback for you. I mean, come on. Like, no enemies anymore. Um, Taylor Swift and Harry Styles would reunite and Kanye and the Kardashians would be best man and bridesmaid at the wedding. I mean, that'd be, be amazing, right? But, but Scripture does say, okay, so there's no more enemies and even the animals who feed on each other. The Scripture we just read a minute ago. They will be at peace, right? The lion will lie down with the lamb and the dog will make peace with the rabbit and the cat will be no more. Yes. Just kidding, just kidding. There's a lot of amens on that. Wow, okay. Um, let's move on before I get in more trouble. Uh, the third realm we're going to look at, the kingdom of God, is a realm of peace, like we just said, and it's also a realm of beauty, Now, John, who was a disciple of Jesus, he wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. John sees in there a vision of what is to come one day when the kingdom is realized. And we'll put the verse on the screen. But he sees in this vision, uh, this vision, there's a street of a great city. And the great city is the city of God. It's his community. And the street is paved with pure gold. And the city is surrounded by 12 gates. And each gate is made of a single pearl. And what he's doing here is he's using imagery to say that the kingdom of God is a realm of beauty, a place of beauty where, where, where the human hunger for beauty is finally satisfied. And there's no more pollution, no more rundown inner city buildings marred by graffiti or broken windows, no more concrete ghettos or barrios, no more miles of asphalt jungle. And that the creative genius that God has placed in each person, each of us made in his image, the image of our creator, that that would flourish and blossom. And that every day would be a masterpiece, a a day of pure beauty in a world where God's kingdom holds full sway. It's beauty. 
Like, like, who are some of your favorite painters? Just holler out some of your favorite painters, besides Isaac. Rembrandt. Um, Rembrandt. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Picasso. Picasso. I didn't, I didn't, um, they're quiet, quiet favorites. Rodin, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so there's beauty like that. And so imagine that the drawings that little children give to their parents to hang on the refrigerator, now they start to look like works of art, something like Michelangelo or Van Gogh or Picasso. Actually, maybe they already look like something from Picasso, but you know, um, maybe on that day they'll look even more uh, spectacular, but maybe they'll look the same, actually. I would say they probably will look the same, and perhaps in the kingdom we will finally recognize true beauty. And when we look at the drawings made by our children, we will see their purity of heart. That's what we'll see. And on that day in the kingdom of beauty, when, when teenage girls in that kingdom fully come city, when they, when they look at magazine covers and then look at the mirror, they will think to themselves, I look just right. Because society then will have learned to see and celebrate the beauty that God sees when he looks at human beings made in his image, every one of them. And whatever their shape or size or color, they will all look in the mirror and say, I look just right. And there's more. Um, the fourth area we'll look at. The scripture writers say in the kingdom of God, there will be no more fear. John puts it like this in Revelation 21. On, its, on no day will its gates ever be shut. Because there's no night there, right? So it's a kingdom with no more fear. Now, um, the gates would never be shut in Revelation 21 because in biblical times, think about this, there wasn't electricity, and so night was a time of darkness, a time of vulnerability, a time when crimes were committed, a time of fear. But it says in Revelation, the kingdom of God, those days of fear will be over. Right? No more locked doors, no gated communities, no security systems, no combination locks. Here's one I'll be really glad for anyone say amen to this. Um, we won't have to lose our keys because there won't be any keys. <laughs> Amen. It will be wonderful, right? And if there's squad cars and police, they'll pull people over, but they'll do it to commend them for their good deeds. They'll say, do you know why I pulled you over? And then they'll write citations praising them for the politeness and courtesy they have towards other drivers, right? Yeah. And then squad cars will probably still pull into donut shops, but now donuts will be loaded, <laughs> loaded with protein, and Oprah will write diet books saying it's a good idea to eat donuts at every meal. Can I get another? Amen. Yes. All right, let's look at the fifth one here. How about the sphere of relationships? Sphere of relationships. Like, what about families in the kingdom of God when it fully comes? What will happen to our messed up world of dysfunctional family life? Like, here's the dream. In Luke chapter 1, it says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Right? No more separations. No more divorce. No more affairs. No abuse. No neglect. No unloved or unwanted child. I asked some friends uh, to email me some ideas. Um, listen to these ideas that, uh, of what this sphere of relationships might look like when the kingdom comes. Um, one said, members of a household will stay up late at night thinking of ways to serve each other. <laughs> um, children will insist that their little brother get the larger piece of cake. Uh, 
I like this one. <clears throat> People will turn on Jerry Springer to watch shows with titles like, My Spouse Secretly Loves Me Twice As Much As I Thought He Did. <laughs> and here's a great thought from, from one of those friends of mine on the kingdom of God and children. Um, they wrote, if the kingdom of God were fully here, the orphanages would be empty of kids. People would come to the orphanages and be looking for kids, but be turned away because all the kids were already adopted by other people. Yeah. When the kingdom fully comes. And then maybe I think some of the most beautiful words about the kingdom in Revelation 21. I'm going to read this to you. It'll be on the screen. And I heard a loud voice saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and women, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And think about these words, friends. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Anybody want to live in a world like that? Right? No more Kleenex, no more funeral homes. We'll turn caskets into toy, toy chests, right? You know? Her hearses will be converted to limos where you can get a ride and lay down, take a nap, it'll be great. Right? <laughs> See, every day you will be at home with God, never confused again by sin or betrayal. And in Ezekiel, where it says, God promises, I will remove their hearts of stone and replace them with a the heart of flesh. And that's actually Ezekiel 36. I think put the wrong one on the screen. But, but that will finally come into full reality. Full reality. Like the battle with sin will be over and our true hearts will always shine. Like on that day, no more hard hearts, no more cold hearts, no more stubborn hearts. We'll never say something that we regret later. You'll never do anything that you're ashamed of. You'll never do anything to feel guilty about. And when you see somebody else's success or beauty or wealth, it won't even occur to you to be jealous or envious, but only to rejoice as if you were the one that had what they have. And in that kingdom, we won't fight or go to war with other nations or cultures, but every tongue and tribe and people and nation will gather as brothers and sisters around the throne of God. And you who sit here this morning, think about this, you will see the living God. You will see the living God. No more doubt. No more questions. No more wondering or asking why. You'll see him face to face. And God himself will wipe every tear from your eye. And he'll embrace each one of us. And sadness and sorrow will be banished forever. See, on that day when the kingdom finally fully comes, God will wipe away the curse that we've been under from the time of the fall way back in the Garden of Eden. But no longer will we be under that curse on that day. Back then, the curse was cursed is the ground, cursed is the man, cursed was the woman. But on that day, the day the kingdom fully comes, no more curse. And we can not even imagine it. We can't even imagine this. See, that's what life, that's just a glimpse of what life would look like if God's kingdom were to fully come, his will to fully be done here on earth as it is in heaven, and one day it will. It will. See, that's the kingdom of God. And one day when God's will is done here on earth as it is already done in heaven, 
what we'll see is a world like the one I've described to you this morning, only way, way more uh, thoroughly uh, beautiful and incredible. See, that's the kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim and initiate, and one day it will be so. One day. That's in the future. It's beautiful. But it begs the question, what about today? Are we just supposed to kind of you know, sit back and pray for heaven to hurry up and arrive? Do we start begging for the end of the world so that the kingdom will finally be here? Or does Christ invite us into something more right now? And if you've been with us for this, this series, I think you know the answer to that question. And So I want to wrap up our message and this entire series on the kingdom of God by going to Matthew chapter 25. We'll start in verse 31, and, and as you're turning there, I um, just want to remind you, like, Jesus loves to give us word pictures to help remember what it is he's teaching. And so he puts uh, into pictures these important things that he wants to really set or even cement into our hearts. And so um, listen to the picture he paints. I'll even, just, I'll, I'll start with the first phrase, and I'll pick it up again in a minute. But, but when he starts this whole phrase, verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man, which is Jesus, when Jesus comes in his glory, which, hold on, just stop right there. I mean, Jesus actually believes that this day that the Hebrew scriptures spoke of was actually going to come. He didn't just think this was some little nice utopian philosophical idea. He saw it as an actual reality. And he saw himself as the king who would bring the kingdom. So he tells all these stories in his teaching saying, listen, I am that person. I am that king. I am that Messiah. And I'm going to do the things that you're expecting me to do. I am bringing that world, that kingdom. All right. Excited, sorry. Uh, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Then all the nations will be gathered before him. Here's the picture. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, I'm just going to focus on the sheep in this passage. Let me give you a quick summary of the goats before we go there. Um, the summary on the goats is essentially this. What happens with the goats is, um, to the goats he says something like, if you have no heart for this kind of kingdom, you're not a part of it. Like you didn't do anything to be a part of it, you didn't want to be a part of it, so if you don't share, if you don't share the heart of the king, yeah, you're just, you're not in it, okay? So we'll put that over here. Talk about the sheep, verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Pause for a second. So when you, by the way, enter into the kingdom now, here in this life, it's a role that has been prepared for us since the world began. Okay, there's something prepared for you, according to Jesus. Okay, back in it, 35. Verse 35, for I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Which, by the way, all of that completely connects with the message of all of Scripture. All through scripture we see that the king has a heart for those who are marginalized and left out and have nothing. All through the Bible we see that the king has a heart for the needy, the poor, and the broken. 
And what he's saying here is there are some of you who actually believe that the kingdom was coming. And so you oriented your entire lives around the coming kingdom. You became a people who wanted to have a heart like the king's heart. So you ordered your lives around his truth and his knowledge and his love. You, you looked for ways to give to those who have less than you. You took care of those who could not take care of themselves. You showed grace and mercy to those who had blown it. And those are the kinds of people who get it. Those are the kinds of people who, when God says, when, when I return and establish this kingdom on earth, I'm going to say, come on in. You get it. You get it. In anticipation of my kingdom, he'll say, you have organized and oriented your life around the things that matter to my heart. Come on in. Friends, apparently, according to Scripture and the teaching of Jesus, it's really important to notice what touches the heart of the king. And so if the king has a heart for those who are needy, then I will. The king has a heart for the hurting? Okay, I will. The king has a heart of grace and mercy for those who have blown it? Then God, do that in me too. The king has a heart that wants to be a, a father to the fatherless? Then, then I, then I will seek out those who have no father and be a father to the fatherless, a, a mother to the motherless, loving orphans and neglected people. I will orient my entire life around the reality and heart of the kingdom of God. That's our commitment that we step into. And then as we continue in that Matthew passage, uh, they, Jesus says this to the sheep. Here's how the sheep respond. Verse 37, then, then the righteous, the sheep will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for See, Jesus is saying here, when you have the kind of heart that I have, then you're doing it for me. When you've oriented your life around my kingdom, when you spend your energy on the things that the king cares about, justice and mercy and love and compassion and generosity, you're helping the kingdom to come, to invade this world right now, right here, and that is what I'm calling you to, says Jesus. See, we are partners in bringing God's kingdom. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has adopted us as his own children. And if we are to take the words of our king seriously, we will see that Christianity is much more than just a set of rules to be followed. It's so much more than praying a prayer so that we get a ticket into heaven when we die. It's your kingdom come, God, your will on earth, right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. And so following Christ means living and loving and serving and giving, doing life in his kingdom, in his reality, according to his way. 
and again, we don't have time to get into it, but like, you need to know this. Like, Jesus' whole message was about the reality of the kingdom of God. That was his whole message. That was his gospel, the kingdom of God. And he was saying, you can enter into living that kind of life right now. Now, kingdom of this world, kingdom of God, so easy to just adopt the kingdom of this world stuff because it's right in front of us. It's what the news talks about. It's what the TV shows and everything is already oriented around that and to gathering people into having opinions about that stuff. It's how our world works. What I'm about to say is not a political statement, but people take it that way because we don't. Let's, like what I said Heidi quoted uh, a few weeks ago. Sadly, many Christians are more discipled by the news or their talk radio than they are by Scripture. She's a brilliant woman. I'm not going to argue with her. Okay, so, um, and, and I have to watch and be careful. So I'm going to get real practical about this kingdom stuff. Um, because my heart gets really grieved when those of us who carry the name of Christ also then cave into fear. Um, and we've talked a lot about different areas over this series, um, but today, it's p- particularly, I want to focus in on refugees. We cave into fear about refugees, and I could do a whole message on this alone, but here's just one big thought to consider. Again, I'm not trying to give you like some thorough completeness of it. This is the one that I thought we, we need to take this into consideration, okay? Our Christian heritage runs through Judaism, So we, my friends, people of God, we are an immigrant people. Like even our religion began somewhere else. It just did. This is not about politics, friends, okay? Uh, Mark Sandlin points out our spiritual ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, they were told by God to pick up, take what they have and start traveling. They were immigrants. Um, How about the children of Israel? Moses? Miriam and Aaron led an entire nation out of Egypt into the desert and ultimately into new lands. They were immigrants. Um, How about even Jesus? Okay, Joseph and Mary fled with the baby Jesus into Egypt for part of his childhood, lived as a foreigner. Like Jesus himself was a refugee in a foreign land. In Exodus says that we know how it feels to be foreigners in a foreign land. Like, and by the way, if we don't think that foreigners in a foreign land is still our story, those of us that are not Native American here, um, that we just need to ask the Native peoples here, okay? So at best, and again, I don't care what your political beliefs are. I'm just trying to dig through Scripture here and be faithful to that kingdom, Okay? But if we, at best, if if we turn away immigrants or don't care about the least of these um, and reflect the heart of God, at at best it makes us hypocrites because of our own history. Um, And at worst, it makes us betrayers of our spiritual ancestors and our our God and his heart. Um, And this is just where God's been bringing me. Um, Stacy Heimkees is one of our elders here at Hope, and and here's a quick part of her journey and her story in this area as well. Exodus 23.9, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. 
also I'd like to read Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for your brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Serving with me on this board were many people of color that came from churches that looked very different from Hope Covenant. And I started to learn more and more about their perspectives and understandings from the Bible. After serving with the covenant, studying, reading the word, I just think I realized that I had a really narrow view of the Christian kingdom. I had a narrow view of what it looked like and what was real. It made me realize that in many cases I was pretty shallow um, in my view of how I should minister and accept and love people that were different than me. I think the fear issue is one that I never really faced specifically. It was more understanding and trying to figure out what the Bible said and taking the time to figure out what the Bible said. Um, but I do know that there are many people that fear um, people that are different coming here, maybe people that don't love the Lord. Um, instead of looking at it as the possibility to tell them about the Lord, what better opportunity is there? Well, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about and starting to work with several people in our church that God seems to have just brought rec recently that are passionate about refugees, looking at helping a family resettle in the Phoenix area. That would involve, um, I hate to say adopt, because the resettlement organization takes care of renting the home, but being a friend, taking them shopping, helping them get their kids enrolled in school, having them over for dinner, um, teaching them how to deal with Target and Walmart, and uh, just being a friend to them. So I think that's where I'm going to get to know people and love people in a really personal way. Uh, I am so proud of Stacy. Like it, it um, makes me really proud to be serving in a church with an elder like her who gets it. I am serving with this woman who loves just like Jesus calls us to love. And, and I have a ton of hope um, knowing that she didn't get stuck in a way of thinking that simply aligned with a political piece, but instead she realized different kingdom um, and was open to the Holy Spirit and had a soft and tender heart towards the things that God really cares about. And because of that, she moved from being fearful about refugees to trusting that following Jesus is more important than living in fear. Now, this is not going to be the call and the cause for each one of us in the room here, but um, there is something, I believe, that God is prompting your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, where is a place where he is calling you to have his heart for somebody that is not always comfortable fit? And if you are interested in learning more about the refugees, again, next Sunday um, after the service, we're going to have a meeting to learn how? And you don't have to have any knowledge at all, just a curiosity and an open heart. But there might be other areas for you that God is calling you to look at. 
Uh, this was just a super practical example. So here's the question I want us to carry into our week. What will it look like? What will it look like for me to begin living my life in God's realm right now, his kingdom, right? For me to orient my entire life around the reality and the heart of the kingdom of God. What will that look like? That's our journey this week that I'm inviting us into as a people of Hope Covenant. And it would mean praying, God, your kingdom come, as we pray the Lord's Prayer and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom, not mine, your will, not mine. And so this week, will you be willing to keep praying that prayer and asking God to show you specific ways where God is calling you to have a soft and tender heart towards the things that our king cares about? Lord, you are good. Um, and as the band plays this song, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our hearts, and that the words to this song would be um, our prayer. In Jesus' name.